Welcome to the Notable Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein, a practicing physician and the chief medical officer at Notable, the company on a mission to simplify and optimize healthcare for humanity. Join me as we explore how to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, efficient, and compassionate. In each episode, we dive into a unique aspect of the digital health landscape, featuring interviews with healthcare leaders and other innovators or experts. Our aim is to provide our listeners with thought-provoking content by asking tough questions and highlighting how digital technology has the potential to reinvent our healthcare system. Our guest today has published over 1,300 peer-reviewed articles with more than 300,000 citations. He was elected to the National Academy of Medicine and is one of the top 10 most cited researchers in all of medicine. His principal scientific focus has been on the use of genomic and digital data, along with artificial intelligence to individualize medicine. He's also a practicing cardiologist and someone that I've been fortunate to look to for guidance and inspiration throughout my career. Dr. Eric Topol, it is an honor and always a pleasure. Thank you for the time and welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Aaron. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for your very kind intro. Absolutely. So I want to dive in and explore the latest advances in artificial intelligence with you, but in particular through the lens of their real or potential impact on the doctor-patient relationship, as you and I have talked about before as a practicing physician myself. It's something that's really near and dear to my heart. So where I'd love to start is in your book, Deep Medicine, which you published in 2019, you explored how AI could make healthcare human again. And I am always coming back to citing something you wrote, uh, which I'll quote here. The greatest opportunity offered by AI is not reducing errors or workloads or even curing cancer. It's the opportunity to restore the precious and time-honored connection and trust, the human touch between patients and doctors. What were you thinking when you wrote that? Yeah, that was uh, in in one sentence, the whole thesis of the book. Um, that is... Um, it became increasingly clear that we were going to have ways to make diagnosis more accurate, particularly at first via scans, so they'd be interpreted you know, better, uh, and that we would do a, a lot of things that would help us uh, with the leaning on machines with AI. But we really should be concentrating on the overarching goal, which is Let's get this patient-doctor relationship back to primacy. Let's restore it to the way it used to be in the 1970s when I was in medical school. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that we, we at that time, as you would know, because you hadn't been born yet, but, you know, back then the relationship was really precious. It was, it was the ultimate. And it's really degraded profoundly over these many decades. I do believe that we can leverage AI, exploit its, its uh, help to get us not only back to where it was, but hopefully even better. As you reflect back on, on that statement and, and the book in general, what'd you get right? And conversely, what have you been surprised by in the time since the book was published? Well, back when I was researching the book, this is now back in 2018, um, I spoke to you know, all the leaders in the field around the world about do we have the wherewithal, the ways which would require multimodal AI to integrate all of a person's data 
to be able to do the ambient conversation into exquisite notes and all the downstream tasks and you know do we have the uh, ability now to do that and the answer was absolutely not we didn't have the ability we had the vision we had the expectation but it really was only in the last year in November with ChatGPT and March with GPT-4 and other large language models, which aren't even language models anymore, they're multimodal now, not just language, that we have actualized this opportunity. And so it was clear from doing the research that eventually we get there. I have to say, Aaron, that we got there quicker than I thought. <laughs> um, and it's great because, you know, obviously we're still very early but you can see the exciting pluripotency that lies ahead. I have to ask you, since you, you, know, you wrote this book in 2019 about how AI could make healthcare human again, in 2011, you wrote The Creative Destruction of Medicine that talked about digital health and patient empowerment. So you've now written two books that predicted the top trends that would come to be for the next decade in healthcare. Uh, so what's the next book that you're going to write? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know about that one yet. There was one in between about the patient will see you now, and I still am waiting for the patient autonomy, the access to care, the doctorless diagnosis or screening capabilities to, to take hold. But each time in doing these books, you know, I, I faced lots of very harsh critique that it was, you know, ridiculous. You know, how creative destruction. What do we, why do we want to destroy medicine? Or, you know, why do we want to give patients more empowerment? Or why do we want to use AI? And basically, you know, eventually these things, um, fortunately, have shown that they, they can happen. They take much longer than they should. Like, for example, in the first book, I talked a lot about telemedicine and how that could really be a big help. And it required a pandemic to get us some telemedicine even though all the infrastructure had existed for years. So we can do this. We can make AI help physicians, help patients to a, a vast extent. But there still is, as you know, Aaron, there's lots of resistance. There's lots of unwillingness to change is part of the medical community. And I, I understand that. You don't want to make changes that are not fully validated, that are not you know, proven to be um, uh, an important benefit to risk ratio that we can afford. But inevitably, it seems that these things take hold. With that resistance to change, you mentioned that over the last year that the emergence of, of large language models has really accelerated AI faster than you even predicted in, in your book and what you thought was possible. Where are you seeing that either harden people's resistance to change or build bigger barriers and, and mistrust? Where are you seeing that actually opening people up and bringing people along to, to believe that there's an opportunity for, for progress here? Well, I mean, I think there still is some type of sense of threat. There was a recent Washington Post front page article on that, that clinicians feel intimidation, fear uh, of the, the march of AI, and particularly in its new phase of large language models. But I think if there's some things that 
would be embraced that are tangible, palpable means. Like, obviously, what we've discussed, if you could not have to work on a keyboard as a physician, and you could actually listen to patients, hear their stories, you know, the gift of time that, you know, the AI could synthesize all their data and tee it up for you that you don't have to go through pages and pages of uh, electronic records. And so wouldn't it be great if it had all the medical literature pertinent to that patient, all ready for you, crystallized, and that you avoided having to spend all this time um, at a keyboard because your conversation with the patient, with the only minor adjustment of saying what you found on the physical exam, which you did better because you had more time, and that you had this relationship restored. I think that one is the imminent way to get a buy-in from physicians, nurses, clinicians in general. We're not there yet. There's some pilot studies, of course, going on uh, in many places around the country. I do think this one is like a rescue mission. Um, I think, as I've seen it in my own uh, practice in cardiology, it can be uh, of enormous uh, uh, boost for morale just because so much is on automatic and you get to review it, but you haven't had to go through all the data clerk hassles mm -hmm. and time. And if we get to having more time with patients, that's where I think it all begins to bring back the humanity in medicine that has largely, unfortunately, escaped us. And why we went into medicine in the first place. A hundred percent. You wrote what I consider a classic editorial in Nature Medicine about how it changed your practice of endocrinology and gave you time to heal rather than to do all this other stuff that you didn't sign up for when you decided to become a physician. So that's why I'm excited, but it's really to the end goal. It's not, you know, this is just a step along the way to get us this, you know, restoration of uh, the humanity in medicine. Yeah, I, th I think you and I have always been so, so aligned on that front that, you know, the question often gets raised of, of course, like importance around safety and, and how can we trust these models and, you know, the fear of, of change in practice. And I, I think there's also the question of how can we afford not to? I mean, practice is overwhelming people. They're feeling burdened. Uh, patients are, are frustrated that, you know, they call up clinics and, and the phone rings forever and they they can't get an answer because people are drowning in paperwork and, you know, we have endless prior authorization. So I feel like you and I have always been very aligned on, we sort of have a, a burning need to find solutions to these problems. I totally agree. Uh, I don't know of another solution in sight, Aaron. I don't know any other path we have to, to rely on. So, you know, we got to go for it here. It's, it's this or bust and we can't let our current state of medicine go on as as it's it's really uh, in many ways uh, unacceptable, uh, dreadful in terms of the global burden of uh, the crisis in medicine. You know, across clinicians and nurses, the burnout, the depression, even to the point of you know the high rate of suicide. We just can't that no less the, as you mentioned the the patient side, which is even a bigger issue. Uh, so we've got to get this fixed. And if somebody knows a better way, 
please let me know. Right. Given that underlying foundation of, of we need to do this to support our patients, support care teams in, in avoiding burnout, how do we build trust? There is an inherent mistrust, and I think in many cases warranted, right? Technology has made many missteps along the way. We've you know seen the negatives from, from social media and, and its impacts on health. And so I think people rightfully have uh, fears, concerns, mistrust. So what will it take as we start deploying AI to patients, to clinicians to start building and, and earning trust? Well, yeah, that's a critical point, and there's many ways to do that. Um, you know, for one, having compelling evidence from, you know, really high-quality research, whether it be randomized trials or other means, which we have a, a relative shortage of in the field of AI in medicine. Another is for the companies that are making these products, these algorithms and uh, neural networks, that they are transparent and don't hide behind these uh, proprietary algorithms that we never get to see the data. The FDA gives a clearance, not even often a full approval. And then we're supposed to entrust that and never having seen that it works. And often these are based on small retrospective studies. Um, what, what I like about the, the patient encounter, um, because it's all recorded, that any patient could quickly go back to the actual audio file or the transcript and see what the doctor said. Trust is pretty good when you have the raw data um, and, you, and you're either the patient having been seen and you're confused about what was discussed or the physician. That hasn't been the way it's been all these years. Doctors didn't even wanna give patients their notes mm -hmm. from their visits because they said, these are my notes. And that's a really bad attitude because actually it's a work product that the patient has paid for it's their note, and we have to get over that. Trust is when it's transparent. Doctors are transparent to patients, and uh, companies are transparent to the medical community. And we have to go there because, as you say, uh, Aaron, this is vital to make progress. There is a recent report from Bain surveying about 95 uh, healthcare executives talking about where they saw early implications for generative AI. And I think they largely agreed with you uh, in deep medicine, early opportunities in relieving administrative burden and staff workflows. How are you seeing that play out? Are you seeing adoption in those spaces? As you meet with people across the country, you talk with health systems, healthcare executives, where are you seeing the most uptake and the most enthusiasm for AI? Uptake is certainly most, which isn't saying a lot, but it's most in these back office operations, whether it's uh, for reviewing charts for billing and streamlining, uh, reducing personnel uh, burden uh, for administrative functions. That's kind of where we are right now. There was a recent New England Journal of Medicine review on that or special article. We haven't gotten to the point of some of the things we discussed uh, today. Eventually, that's, I think, inevitable. But the safe place is not with the patient frontline interactions. There's still legitimate worries about getting uh, mistaken information, whether it's 
a doctor trying to get a differential diagnosis on a patient that's got complexity or a patient wanting to ask questions, this whole idea of the, the front office, the front door for patients, they could, they could ask the, the large language model anything and only when it's, it's beyond that do they have to bother the, the physician. I mean, we're not there yet on those sorts of things. And it may take a while because we've got to weed out the, a, a lot, maybe not all, but a lot of the confabulations before we can get to that. That makes complete sense. But I'm curious, your vision for the world where AI is this third person in the doctor-patient relationship and restoring the ability for the doctor and patient to have a connection, to talk with each other, to focus on each other. What do we have to do as an industry to make sure that that remains the focus and that as we bring AI into that sacred space, that it's done so in a way that supports that relationship and supports maintaining that as the, as the core unit in healthcare. Yeah, this is um, another really difficult one because we are, as physicians, we have overlords in most places. <laughs> and these overlords, all they care about is financial uh, objectives. See more patients, read more scans or slides, more anything. They're not really caring about the patient story of getting more time with their doctors and nurses and whatnot. So, you know, I wrote about that in the New Yorker a few years back, just because this is not going to go well if AI is used in a perverse way to promote financial gains and potentially even worsen where we are today. This is a big challenge. So whether we get the unity, solidarity of uh, the medical community to not uh, let the overlords um, go proceed as they have over all these years, uh, whether we stand up finally for, for patients for the first time and not let our professional societies, which largely are basically their goal is to keep reimbursement at the same level or higher. Their, their goals are not to stand up for patients. Mm-hmm. And that's not aligned with what we need right now. So we have we have a real problem. We have a tool that may greatly improve productivity, but it could have a nefarious um, outcome. Mm. If we go there, then you know that's we blew it. We really blew it. I hope that doesn't occur. Yeah, I hear you on that. Selfishly, I have to ask. You have the most impressive ability of anyone I've seen on the internet to uh, consume and share the latest information, your ability to, to read and capture what's out there. How on earth do you keep up? What are, what are your tips for me and for others? Uh, how do you keep up with reading and consuming information? Well, you know, some have thought I'm actually not a human, but an AI agent. Uh, and uh, I have to say, actually, I didn't I want to ask. I am a human and I don't have anybody helping me do that. I do the reading and posting myself and the substacks, obviously myself and that kind of thing. And the books, you know, obviously all myself. I enjoy it, I guess, Aaron. I've always been a kind of info junkie for science and medicine ever since I was a kid. And I've done that throughout my life. I remember, you know, at UCSF, when I was training there, I was hoarding all, at the Xerox machine, copying all the articles because there was no such thing as a PDF. And when I moved from there to Johns Hopkins uh, for my fellowship, I had boxes and boxes of 
copied articles that, you know, I just, I'm an information geek, unfortunately, I guess, but it's just the way I am. And I like to share the stuff and it used to be more fun than it is today, uh, at least through one um, channel platform that you're very familiar yeah. with. Yeah, uh, we're all become, mourning the loss. It's becoming, uh, you know, high toxicity. But overall, I'll still do the reading. I may not uh, be able to share it as much or in the same places. And that's just the way I am. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm just kind of stuck in that mode and have been for many decades. Well, it's amazing. And, and I know I certainly appreciate it and follow you closely to uh, see what you're reading and learn from the things you're highlighting and sharing out. So on behalf of others, thank you so much for continuing to do that. It, it is really incredible. And I know we have to let you go here, but uh, again, thank you so much for the the conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing your next book because I know it will predict the next 10 years. Oh, thanks. You're too kind, Aaron, but I really enjoyed the conversation and all the best to you. Thank you for listening to Notable Perspectives. To learn more about today's guest, check out the show notes for this episode. If you have a suggestion for a future guest, please send us an email at perspectives at notablehealth.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a colleague or friend. And remember to follow Notable Perspectives on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein. Thanks for listening.